This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Good morning. My name is Paul. I'm pastor here, teacher, one of the elders. And I want you to take out the notes that you received when you walked in. And Aaron didn't know this. I want you to crumple them up and throw them away. I changed the message this morning. I um, normally, when uh, I write, I write on Tuesdays. I prep. Because there's things that need to be put together. There's online things that need to come together. There's printables that need to happen. And wrote the message. Um, if you want to know what the fill-ins, Henry, if you're right there, the fill-ins in the big circle, you put the word tender-hearted, and it's kindness, and it's put away. Those are the three fill-ins. I was going to talk to you about the importance of kindness and tenderness and putting certain things out of our life. And we'll get to that at some point, maybe. But all week, just really struggled with something going on inside of me. And normally that means that something is going to happen. Um, something that God wants to happen, he just hasn't filled me in on yet. Have you ever experienced that? God wants to do something, he just didn't run it by you yet? You haven't been there? Okay, okay. Even the person online who waved, he, he knows what I'm talking about. Um, and the week went on and the week went on and uh, Saturday happened. And then I started to get a little bit more thoughts. And this morning I wrote something else that I want to share with you. So please, if you'll be patient with me. It's not polished, but it's something I think you need to know. Our family is going camping this week. We're campers. Any of you here campers? I'm not, don't, not RV cheaters. Okay. Okay. I mean, I want campers. I've seen some of the RVs pull in. It's got like a fold out flat screen TV on it, indoor fireplace and jacuzzi. That's not camping. Okay. Okay. We go, we set up a tent, we set up a couple easy ops, we cook our food outside and I sit by a campfire for a week. And it's, it's something that my family and I have done for as long as I can remember, my dad, my mom were campers. Granted, most people call it glamping. There is sometimes a refrigerator that comes along in the process. Ice is so expensive. Uh, but so the car, our car out there is packed up, ready to go. Once we say amen here, uh, I'll go home. Uh, we'll get the other car and we'll drive up to Port Clinton. We're going to do some camping in the Putin Bay area, Port Clinton area. Just hang out for a week. There are certain things when you go camping that you have to have, you need to have. One of the pieces of equipment that my dad passed down to me was what we just affectionately call the camp box. It's a big black box. And inside of that are the essentials of camping. Rope, chains, certain tools, saws, things that make the camping process happen, make it possible. Without that box, it's very difficult to do what needs to happen when we get to the campsite. It's important. So when I was loading up the car, that went in first. That's the first thing. And I can't go on without that thing. Other things, not so important. Um, my wife was putting together a, a bag of games. You know, the game's fun to have. Not as important as that camp box. Need to have that camp box. There's something you need to have. And I know it's something that many of you are familiar with. You know it. Or maybe you knew it. But I wonder if you know it today if you know what it's for, if you know what it does, 
So for those of you who are here, those of you who are watching online, um, those notes are a good space to put down your Walmart list today. Um, I've seen it because you've left some of your notes behind and I've read what you put during my sermon. <laughs> Does he only own one pair of pants? Um, or maybe I'll say a few things today that you'll just want to write down and hold on. But I want to talk to you what the Apostle Paul says is of first importance. The most important thing. And maybe you'll see just how important it is in all the places it meets us and why on the journey of life, you want to make sure this gets in there first. So turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. The church in Corinth is a hot mess. The Apostle Paul was trying to work with it. They really didn't want anything to do with him. Uh, they, the church in Corinth is located in a very popular area of the Roman Empire. Lots of market, lots of selling. Lots of commerce, lots of religion, lots of philosophies, lots of other things going on other than the kingdom of God. Very difficult place for a follower of Jesus to follow Jesus. Lots of tempting things to say, hey, look over here. Hey, look over here. Hey, come over here. Hey, how about this? And as a result, the church is a hot mess. And so this entire letter is Paul desperately trying to do a reset. Hey, this is what worship is, and this is how we talk together, and these are things that we don't do, and this is, this is why this matters, and this is why this matters, and why is that guy sleeping with, and, with his stepmom? We don't do that in the church. So Paul's trying to reset, and like I said, they're really just pushing away. They don't want anything to do with him, anything to do with him. And this letter is an attempt to try to get them back online. And after going through section after section after section after section, we get to what we call chapter 15, and he has this to say. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Apparently, we need to be reminded of the gospel. Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for us. He died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and you believe. 
He says, I'm going to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. He's talking to people that follow Jesus. At least he thinks they do. Or at least they say they do. And he says to them, I need to remind you of something. I need to remind you, bring back to your recollection that thing that we call the gospel. It's that thing I preach to you. It's that thing that you say you stand on. Unless, of course, you believed in vain, meaning empty. Your belief was empty. There was no substance to it. Apparently, to the Apostle Paul, the gospel is something that we live by every day of our life. Yes, for some of us, there was a consecration moment, a commitment moment, and everyone needs to have this moment where we give ourselves to the gospel and the gospel gives itself freely to us. But Paul says it's something that you need to come back to every day of your life. And so I want to share with you some things, 10 things that I think the Holy Spirit wants us to have this morning. Maybe one of them, two of them are for you. Maybe you're the reason I didn't sleep all week. But if it's something that you got, then I would do it again in a heartbeat. So for me, these are reasons why we hold fast to the gospel. So in your notes, between the circles and the dashes, and sometime we'll get to that message. In fact, I think next week, uh, one of our elders, Doug, is going to speak, and there's going to be a lot of overlap between what I was going to say and I know what he's going to say. So um, Doug, the dashes and the circles are, are, are yours to use if you want. Uh, when I sin, I need to hold fast to the gospel. Maybe that's something that you need to write down. When I sin, I need to hold fast to the gospel. He says that Christ died for our sins according with Scripture. When I sin, when I worship wrongly, as in worshiping something not worthy of worship, when I give my attention and my energy to something, when I go against the, the holiness of God, when I violate the path and the plan of God, when I sin, I need to come back to the gospel. Shame is too powerful. I need to remember that God's grace is so big that Jesus took all of those sins upon himself. All of those sins. He saw them all. My shoulders are not strong enough. My stomach is not strong enough. My heart and my spirit are not strong enough to deal with the poison and the rancor that is sin in this world. That's why Jesus came. So when I sin, when I do those things, that are sickening to the heart of God, that violate his kingdom intent and his purpose. I need to hold fast to the gospel and remind myself that's why Jesus came. But not just my sin. When someone else hurts me, I need to hold fast to the gospel. Because what does that phrase say? Christ died for whose sins? What's the, what's the pronoun there? Ours. I like that Jesus died for my sins. Sometimes I struggle with him dying for your sins because I think you got it coming. You know that feeling? 
You know that feeling? Like, I know he loves me. Sorry for you. So you just need, well, I don't know what you need. I need to remember when someone else hurts me, when someone hurts me, when someone sins against me, I need to go back to that gospel. I need to go back to that cross. He died for them too. He, he says they're of value and they're of worth. And I get that, Paul, they hurt you and they sinned against you and they, they violated you and they've scarred and wounded your soul. Paul, I get that. Well, you gotta get back to the gospel, dude. You need to remember. You gotta remember forgiveness. I've taught this before, the, the priority and the importance of forgiveness and how God seems to eternally link these vertical relationships that we have with the divine and the horizontal relationships that we practice one with another. That if I will not practice forgiveness, God's like, dude, I don't think you get our forgiveness. When we will not practice reconciliation and restoration, God's like, you know what? Your prayers are just going to go on hold for a little while. Because they matter to me. And you matter to me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or how should we learn? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Those who transgressed against us. When people hurt me, I need to hold fast to the gospel. Forgiveness, meaning I forgive you. I might not have any emotion behind it. I might not even think I believe it, but I'm doing my best. Because I know that God calls me to forgive. So there's this moment. In the same moment I submit to the kingship of Jesus, I submit in this moment of forgiveness. I forgive you. I put it in the hands of Jesus. But then there's, I am forgiving you. Meaning every time that comes up, every time that's revisited, every time it hurts again, every time it pokes again, I take that moment, that experience, I take that sin, I take all of that bondage and brokenness and I take it back to the cross. I'm forgiving. The wound is still open, it still bleeds, it still hurts. So I take that back to the cross. I am forgiving. The wound is still there. By God's grace, there is I have forgiven. And when do we know that we've gone from forgiving to forgiven when it doesn't hurt anymore. And the wound has become a scar. That can take days. That can take months. That can take a lifetime. But he died for our sins. So I, I hold on to the gospel when I struggle with holiness, I need to hold fast to the gospel. I was thinking about that. Holiness. It's that sanctified kingdom way of life. It's the new way of being human that Jesus invites us into. It's hard. Because man, are things tempting. Things taste good. Things look good. As you might know, I've been taking my sons through the book of Proverbs this summer. Um, and again and again and again within the book of Proverbs, the father says to the son, there's two ways. 
This path leads to life. This path leads to death. Choose life. But in the beginning, and I've had them, they're memorizing this verse in, in chapter 5, where the contrast of the adulterous woman comes up. He says, oh, 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 oh. Her lips drip like honey. Her words are smooth as oil. But in the end, she has bitter wormwood. And she is sharp as a two-edged sword. Holiness. I, when I struggle with holiness, when I struggle with the reality that I am commanded to walk a certain way, I've got to get back to the gospel because clearly Jesus takes sin seriously. If it wasn't serious, that wouldn't have happened. He's like, ah, not a big deal. We're good. No, no, no. This is the presentation. This is the parable, the reality, the story that this thing called sin, it's disease, it's enemy, it's monstrous, and it kills and it corrupts. And so when I struggle with going down the right path and making the right decision, when I struggle with holiness, I've got to hold fast to that gospel. Clearly it's a big deal. When I struggle with obedience, I've got to hold fast to the gospel. Obedience. If you watch the passion of the Christ, you know the gospel story. You know the passion moments. You know it starts out in a garden. Jesus in the garden. Can you remember that? Before he gets arrested, before he's hauled off, before Pilate, before he's hauled off, before the Sanhedrin and Herod. It starts in a garden. Jesus was in his quiet place. He was centering himself. He was meditating. He was seeking the will of the Father. This is a fascinating prayer discussion. As he looks upon the cup, the cup of God's wrath, what that means is all that sin has brought with it, sin, death, that the wrath of God is poured out upon, collected, in, if you will, in this, this emblematic cup. And Jesus is about to take that cup upon himself and experience the full weight of sin and death on our behalf. He says, is there any other way? Is there any other way? Not my will, but your will be done. Following Jesus is simple, right? It's simple. But man, is it hard. It's a call to suffering. It's a call to death. It's a call to dying. And so when I struggle with obedience or I'm presenting to a path where I need to be obedient, I need to hold fast to the gospel. It's a picture of my king being obedient that I might too be obedient. In accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, verse 4, he was raised on the third day, according with scriptures. When parts of me need to die, I need to hold on to the gospel. It says that Jesus was buried. That's an image that the Apostle Paul will come back to again and again in many of his letters. He says, hey, this needs to be alive. That needs to die. Did you know there are parts of you that need to die? They just need to die. Wrath in you needs to die. Lust in you needs to die. Lying within you needs to die. 
There are parts of you that need to die. There are desires in you that need to die. It's the overflow of a corrupted soul, of a corrupted being. It's the nature of being a human being. Parts of us need to die. Again and again and again and again and again. The Apostle Paul talks about that in Romans, didn't he? He says, why is it? There's the things that I want to do, but I don't do them. And the things that I do want to do, I don't do. Why is that? So when parts of me need to die, that's something that the current culture has a real problem with. The insinuation that there's parts of us that aren't best. Parts of us that need healed and restored. Parts of us that need put back together. Are there systems of evil at play? Oh yeah, sure. There are. There are systems at play. Fixing the system is not going to fix the problem unless it's the system of humanity that you're talking about. Because I am broken. And so when I'm reminded that Jesus died, it reminds me, I, parts of me need to die on a morning, on a regular basis. Do you guys understand? There says, God, this is in me. I need you to take it. This needs to be crucified again. Buried. He was raised on the third day. For three days, when I'm confronted with the mystery of God, I need to hold fast to the gospel. Maybe that's something that'll be helpful for you. Let me explain what I mean. When I'm confronted with the mystery of God, let's use our imagination. Let's put ourselves in the feet of Peter or John or Mary the many followers of Jesus that were there at the crucifixion. The thoughts that they are dealing with as they watch, see, hear, and deal with the murder of their rabbi and dear friend. What are they thinking about? What are they dealing with emotionally? And they're stepping into a mystery crazy thing about a mystery. The farther into the mystery you go, it seems the less you know. It just, the mystery gets bigger. Like you step into the room and it's a bigger room and you think you got that and it's a bigger mystery and it's more dark and there's more unknowing. It's not like the disciples were at the crucifixion. Don't worry, we just got to make it to Sunday. Everything will be fine. (laughs) Sunday's coming and then we sing songs and we find Easter eggs. They didn't, they didn't, no, that was nowhere in the narrative. It's nowhere in the narrative. They were stepping into a mystery, an unknown. God was doing something. Did he fill them in? Maybe you're in a mystery right now. And it seems the farther in you step, the less you know. But part of the gospel is mystery. God is doing things. He's always moving. He is not obligated to fill me in. There's no checklist in the morning where God says, I got to report up to Paul, make sure he knows what's going on. He's not obligated to me, except by his love and his grace. 
to do what's loving and kind. And in the gospel, that's what I hold on to. Are you walking in mystery right now? On the third day, on the third day, when all seems lost, I need to hold on to the gospel. When all seems lost, why? Because after three days, he did rise. When all seems lost, when reconciliation seems so out of reach, when restoration seems impossible, when it is dead, whatever it is, whoever it is, whatever it was, when it is gone, when all seems lost, hold on to the gospel. There was Friday. There was Saturday. Yeah, Sunday's coming. And for some of us, I know, Sunday's just a long ways away. And I tell you that just to be honest. When all seems lost, on the third day, he rose again. Let me keep reading. This is verse 5. And then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, appeared to the 12, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers, sisters at one time. Most of them all are still alive. Some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James, that's Jesus' brother. He's a pastor in Jerusalem. Then to all the apostles. I think that's neat. Apparently there's lots of apostles. When I struggle with priorities, I need to hold fast to the gospel. Cephas, Peter. You remember what happened after Jesus rose? Peter's struggling a little bit. He doesn't know what to think. He doesn't know what to do. And so he heads back home and he goes fishing. I'm not faulting him. He says, I'm out of here. I'm going to be so he goes fishing. What is it with fishing? Easy, Mr. Bill, you're fine. That's someone in this church sent me a note. And I know he's just, he loves me. I know he's just pushing my buttons. And he says, Pastor, which one's better? To be in church and think about fishing or to go fishing and think about Jesus? <laughs> Mr. Bill, if you quote that to me, you and I are going to have issues. <laughs> Peter says, I'm done. I, I can't handle it. I can't do this anymore. I'm out of here. He says, I'm out. Here he was invited to be part of the rock that is the church. He's invited to be part of a movement, a mission movement, a kingdom invitation to change the world. Dude really screwed up his priorities. He says, I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back home. I'm going to Capernaum. I'm going back to my, uh, this is not for me. And so Jesus meets him and he appears to him. Jesus appears to lots of the disciples where they were at. Appeared to 500. Appeared to lots of apostles. Appeared to lots of people. Restoring and renewing a commitment to a kingdom initiative. Hey, let's go change the world. What I just did is about me initiating a movement. Let's go change the world. Let's show people there's a better way of being human. Let's show people life when they're used to death. Let's show people truth when they're used to lies. Let's walk with people. Let's cry with people. Let's comfort people. Let's do something different. Are you ever tempted to get your priorities out of whack? Get things out of order? 
I do. Daily basis. And so I need to hold fast to the gospel that reminds me there's something that God is doing and wants me to share in that's a whole lot more important than whatever that thing is. He appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the 12, and he appeared to 500, he appeared to so many saying, hey, let's go change the world. And then it says, last of all, verse 8, to one untimely born, that means the runt of the litter, he appeared to me also. For I, the Apostle Paul, am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called the apostle, an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. When I struggle with my past, I need to hold on to the gospel. Isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul, the great church planter, the great apostle, some call him the apostle, still dealt with his past. And all of his zeal, his zeal for his faith at that time, Judaism, his, his zeal for the law, his zeal for the holiness of God, he did so many vile things that he thought were good things or right things until confronted by Jesus on the Damascus road. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus said to him. Isn't it interesting that the apostle Paul still carried that with him? He let it touch him. I think that can go too far from a pastoral perspective. I'm not saying that was the Apostle Paul's issue. Some of us choose to be haunted by our past. We live in it like it's a boon companion and we don't know how to let go of it. The Apostle Paul let his past touch him. He, let, he reminded himself of the depth of God's grace. I shouldn't be doing this, he said. I know what I've done, but so great is the grace of God. So amazing is his love. When I struggle with my past, when I struggle with the past, I, don't know, it's, I think it's a guy thing. I only say that because I mostly see guys doing this. That's not dealing with the past. Guys, we have a habit. Uh, no, it's not a habit. It's just part of the design of how our brains work. We can take the past, put it in its box, put that box in its closet, lock that door, and walk away from it. Like, it's in the past. It's in the past. Why do we need to talk about it? Why do we need to deal with it? It's in the past. And then there's your wife. The female brain doesn't work that way. It's not wired that way. It is so interwoven, intertangled. We call it a spider web. Man, there is no box in a closet behind a closed door. It's always there. And so a guy's like, why are you bringing this up? It's in the past. Why are you bringing this up? It's in the past. You, husband, are not affording her the privilege of healing and working through it and making sure it is where it needs to be. Because for her, it's not in the past. It's out in the open. It is now. And by dismissing her experience and dismissing the beauty of her design, there's a difference between men and women. You are not loving her like Christ loves the church. 
I think the Apostle Paul probably dealt with his past. But he looked at the scars and he knew that they were there. And so when the past comes up, I look at the cross and I hold fast to the cross. Because I persecuted the church. Let healing happen. Then he says, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me, whether then it was I or they, we preach, and so you believed. This kind of reminded me. When I struggle with my part, my part, I need to hold fast to the gospel. Let me tell you what I mean by my part. I played the trumpet in high school. Some of you know that. Any here trumpet players in high school, elementary school? No, like trumpet players hold up their hand. They know, come on, because you know we're the best. And those of you who ever were in a relationship with a trumpet player, you know it. Those of you who ever had a best friend who played the trumpet, you know it. We are arrogant. We are jerks to be around in band. We kind of sit off in our own little section and do our own thing because we get the best parts, right? Hey, look at her. She's saying, she's, she's a right, right, right? You, she, you know the trumpet section, right? You know what I'm talking about? So my son plays the trumpet. Of course he does. Um, and his girlfriend plays the clarinet. And she's like, dude, trumpet players are so arrogant. And we both are like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are. Because we get the best part. We get the best. When the music gets handed out. Okay, so when the conductor walks in, Lowe's like, not a chance, not a chance. It's, when the music gets handed out, guess where the melody normally goes? It goes to the trumpet. We get all these beautiful little black dots dancing all over the place. Oh, beautiful. Awesome. Love it. It's great. Other instruments sometimes get what we call nothing. Dude, if you're like the cymbal player, you got one job and it's one note, like five minutes into the song at the very end, and you got that one thing to do. And so what do you do? Well, the trumpets are up. And you're like, trumpets are jerks. Because every now and then we'll look over and wink. <laughs> I was a trumpet player. I got all the good parts. But sometimes in life, God gives you different parts. And says, Paul, it's your job to sit here for a while. For a long while. And you look at your part and you're like, I don't like my part. I don't like where I am in the song. I don't like this. I don't like what I have to do or what I don't get to do. Everyone else gets all these beautiful, beautiful lines and melodies and counter melodies and harmonies and counter harmonies and I'm just sitting here. I don't like my part. So I need to hold fast to the gospel. Because in the gospel, there's mystery. In the gospel, there's unknown. And the apostle Paul understood his part. I'm an apostle. I'm going to do this thing. I not know that I'm worthy to do this thing or should do this thing. I don't even know if I can do this thing. I'm going to go do this thing because this is what I was asked to do. This is the part the conductor gave me. And I want to be a part of something. And I don't know in the end what this is going to look like as the tapestry is turned around and as the beautiful orchestra, I don't know. Sometimes I struggle with my part. Maybe right now, you don't like your part. You don't like what's in front of you. 
You don't like what was given to you. You don't know what to do with it. You need to hold fast to the gospel. I don't know that Jesus liked carrying the cross. As the rough, hewn, heavy timbers scourged and splintered and scraped his already raw, abused skin, I don't know that he said, this cross is comfy. I want to carry it for a while. But when I struggle with my part, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Why? Why do I hold fast to the gospel? Because the gospel comes with grace. It's a package deal. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, meaning not wasted. It touched Paul. It changed Paul. It transformed Paul. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me. So whether then it was I or they, we preach and you believe. In the middle of suffering, in the middle of struggling, in the middle of questioning, and working through priorities and holiness and obedience, whatever it might be, when I hold on to the gospel, with it comes the grace of God. What is grace? It's the fingerprint of God made known in the moment. It's God's way of saying, I'm here. I'm here. It could be a big thing, it could be a little thing, it could be a card, it could be a song, it could be a person, it could be a memory. It could be the tangible experience of the loving arms of God wrapping around you and sustaining you in the middle of your hell on earth. It's the grace of God. It's God saying, I'm here. Because the gospel is God's way of saying, I'm here. My wife and I were, were chuckling a couple days ago. Well, it wasn't so much chuckling. It was more just rage and anger. <laughs> like, who keeps trashing our house? I have a theory. Like, every time we turn around, it's, it's a mess again. Like, yeah. Like, it's some weird sick scene from an M. Night Shyamalan movie. There's like these things that are living in the house, and I haven't been able to find it yet. But when I turn my back, they're like, open the cupboards and open the trash can and open the gadgets and just pour this here and pour that there. And here, let's take all of our clothes off and just lay them all over the place. And let's put Legos when dad can't see them. And so it's blah, blah, blah. I think that might be what's going on. I don't know because I clean a room, I turn around, and I come back and, ha, ha. And my wife said, when will this house ever stay clean? And I said, when they don't live here anymore. Yeah, your life's going to be messy. But if you hold fast to the gospel, 
you'll find God's fingerprint all over it. As he puts this here and puts that there and moves this here and moves that there. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't think I'm worthy to do it. And sometimes I struggle with a part I am to play. Because holiness is hard. And obedience is hard. I sin. Others hurt me. So let's hold fast to the gospel. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.